Welcome to the Prodigal and the Priest podcast, a podcast about faith, sports, and two friends from different cultures. Here are your hosts, Joey Scansella and Father Paul Bechter. We're we're continuing to have problems with Father Paul drinking tea. So if are we you, live? If, yeah, we're alive. What? I hit the intro. Come on. Anyway, so prodigal and the priests were on the mass part, whatever, and uh, um, we're continuing with the Eucharistic prayer. So it's so so important. We want to um, give some more of uh, just reflections, nuances, things that maybe we've forgotten as well. I think where we last left off, we were up to the memorial acclamation, but. Um, Anything you want to recap or emphasize that we've kind of gone over so far? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I just wanted to reemphasize like the centrality of this moment of uh, the institution narrative. Mm. And so I'm going to focus on, <clears throat> sorry, I'm just having all sorts of issues <laughs> over here. Um, I'm going to focus on, uh, Eucharistic prayer three, because that's what I use here at Mass for uh, Sundays. On Sundays, yeah. Uh, so that's probably what people are most familiar with. The institution narrative begins with this little, um, this little preparatory thing. At whose command we celebrate these mysteries? Okay. Um, or actually, let me yeah, let me go back to the epicletic <laughs> gesture that we talked about before. Hey, we're just gonna redo the last yeah. episode. <laughs> <laughs> the calling down the Holy Spirit. Right. Okay, so. With in Eucharistic prayer three, that moment comes when you read the words, therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you. And then, boom, the celebrant and all the concelebrants reach out their hands over the offerings mm-hmm. and say, by the same spirit, graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration. Okay, so we're calling, like we are asking God through the power of the Holy Spirit to make these holy so that... They may become the body and blood of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. And then it kind of changes voice, right? So we, we've led up, it, it's sort of like a like a, a biblical phrase. Would. It'll say, and God spoke to Moses saying, and then direct speech after that, right. right? This is at whose command, the command of Jesus Christ, we celebrate these mysteries. And then we begin this institution narrative where we actually speak in his voice. Mm-hmm. So... For on the night he was betrayed, he himself took bread, giving you thanks. He said the blessing, broke and the And you bread. see some priests bend over, right? Yeah. It actually says it in the in the missal. What is the gesture? What is the significance of the kind of... You do it at yeah. do this... At take this. At take this. Yeah, at the actual um, words of institution. So, What is the gesture there? I don't know exactly. <laughs> I didn't know if it was like... Hey, listen up, extra. For, for me, that's what it does. So, like, there, the the red words. So there's there's the black words, which are the words that you say, and then the red words, which are the words that tell you what to do. And this is the Roman missal. He's yeah, talking in the about. Roman in missal. In the Roman missal, it kind of yeah. it gives you everything that say what you the black, need. do the red, right? Like that's yeah. Um, and with the red, it says he bows slightly. So that's what you have historically. You can look at different different things and try and try and understand like where this is coming from. But for me, it just means like slow down mm-hmm. 
and focus and actually uh i don't know i think sometimes like they'll turn up my mic because i start talking quieter then Mm. but i find that especially in a big full church like when i soften my voice a little bit and speak more clearly and deliberately deliberately um like people start to focus in more. Yeah. It sort of draws people in. And I think that's exactly what's meant to happen with yeah, this bowing stuff. It's definitely a speaking, like that's what speakers do. Like they want you to hear, they slow down. They're like, yeah, I want you all to really remember this next thing I'm going to so say. So important. Because <laughs> um, it is. Okay, so there's the there's a structure mm-hmm. of like he took bread and then he gave thanks. And right. the word for that in Greek is... Oh, uh, communion. Eucharistia. <laughs> Eucharist. Yeah, sorry. Put you yeah. on spot. <laughs> I know that you knew that. Yeah, um, right. So he takes bread and then he gives thanks. And that word in Greek, giving thanks, means, I mean, the word is Eucharist. Right. He Eucharisted in Greek. So that's what Eucharist means, is to give thanks. Then he said the blessing, so three things. He broke the, the bread to and gave it to his disciples, saying, um, and if you look at... Take this. Yes, exactly. Uh, but we're not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> so if you look at the um, like the miracle of the multiplication of the loaves uh, and the fishes and its different forms in the different Gospels, um, mm-hmm. like you see these same kind of things. Right. Uh, it's There's already a Eucharistic structure mm-hmm. in the way those... Uh, those events from the life of Christ are told in the Gospels. So the evangelists, as they're writing them, they're thinking in terms, especially St. Luke. I have a friend who wrote on this uh, for his dissertation, but especially St. Luke, like because these these stories about the life of Christ were told very early on right. um, in the context of liturgy, yeah. they received sort of a shape by that liturgy. They were informed by it. Huh. And so, so like, you you can you can already see in the text these same elements. Right. Um, he took bread, gave thanks, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples. And that also has this same structure that we were talking about last episode about like how you know we give the offerings, right, and then they're transformed uh, right. by Christ and given back to us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same thing here. So like. The multiplication of the loaves, especially in the Gospel of John and the Gospel of Luke, but I guess also Matthew and Mark, like all of them, mm-hmm. um, really strong Eucharistic overtones. Yeah. Um, so, and then he bows slightly. That's what the rubric says. Mm-hmm. And then the priest now speaking like in the voice of Christ. Right. Uh, not as himself, but like with his voice, Christ is now speaking his word, which is a creative and a transformative word, right? Speaking this reality into existence, just as by His word He created the heavens and the earth. So now, by His word, uh, speaking using the instrument of the priest, He says, "Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is My body, which will be given up for you." Um, now, is that the only <clears throat> part that, and when you do that with the wine, mm-hmm. if you said? I don't know. You add an S or something like that to one of the words. Mm-hmm. Ooh, good question. Invalidate it? Uh, no, not exactly. Um, <laughs> so that, that's a really good question. Um, so this is 
This is not magic. It's not a magical spell mm-hmm. that needs to be recited in this perfect way for it to take place. That's sort of one extreme, right? right. But the words are also extremely important and you yes. have to say those words and not any other words. Right. So we're in this middle ground between like not a magic spell where if you stutter or something you have to start over i guess right. that's i don't know how yeah stutter works, or like i said you add an s or i, I don't know you oh. said do this in memories of me you you know instead of memory of me, right you know like yeah. maybe that. that that does not invalidate so saint thomas actually uh, aquinas actually addresses stuff like that and this is you know <laughs> quite a long time ago uh but so it, this has been <laughs> a struggle for a yeah, long no, this time. has been a question for a long time uh you know what if you in, in Latin, you change the ending of uh, nouns mm. uh, depending on what the noun is doing in the sentence. You right. also do it for verbs, but like we do it for verbs as well. We don't do it for nouns. So if I was saying to Joey, I will give this gift. Yeah, I wouldn't change the ending of Joey. Yeah, like Joey, oh, I will give this gift. Right. But that's what you do in Latin. Or if it was like the gift of Joey, it would be Joey E or yeah. something like that. Um, and so, like, what if you say the wrong ending on there? It does change the meaning. St. Thomas said, like, no, if you have the right intention, you're trying to say the words, and you say the words in a right. substantial way, then, like... But now somebody is like, I think I have better probably. words. Right. And we've talked <laughs> like, before about, like, yeah. changing we, baptize, instead of I. Like right. That, that changes completely the meaning of what's happening. Right. Right. Because it's no, but no longer Christ But yet they had the intentionality they had of the good chur- intention. Right. So it, it, right? it is a slippery slope. Yeah. Yeah. No. So the words are very important. But St. Thomas directly addresses things like stuttering. Got it. And, uh, you know, for us, like adding an S on the end of the word or something or... And also, I know you don't have this perspective because you're not in the congregation at the time that this is taking place. Mm -hmm. Could you clear it up for one second, too, of those? I have people that say the words with you as you like they have the miss like either copy the missile or they have their own missalette. It's like I don't know if they're just trying to follow along and they're speaking them out like, okay, that's. It's really for the priest. <laughs> yeah, this is so there. There are a diversity of roles. I'm not saying condemn them, but if you could, real quick, fire and brimstone. <laughs> you ever seen Beckett before when they do the excommunication oh, yeah, scene? Yeah, yeah. They turn the the um, torches upside down. Yeah, that's what we're doing right now. That's right. Um, yeah. So there's a there's a legitimate diversity of roles in the. Uh, the sort of drama of the liturgy. Yeah. Right. There are parts that are proper to the people that the priest doesn't say. And there are parts that are proper to the priest that the people don't say. And these, the whole Eucharistic prayer is something that is proper to the priest. So stay in your lane, people (laughs) stay in your lane. It's, it's really good to pray along silently with it, uh, but not to voice the words out loud because it's just starts blurring those roles. And like, this is why the priest was set apart. Right. Uh, is to, celebrate the Eucharistic sacrifice in persona Christi Capitis. And the common uh, priesthood of the faithful, right? We're all baptized into Christ as priest, prophet, and king. And so, like, you are a priest in Christ. A line of Melchizedek. According according to the 
to your baptism. Right. That gives you the ability to do what priests do, which is offer sacrifice. But the sacrifice you offer is the sacrifice of yourself mm-hmm. and of everything. And so like that's the first part where we're using our universal and common priesthood of the baptiz- of the baptized, we offer ourselves on the altar. Um and that's the, you know, the that's the how much food do you have? Mm-hmm. Three loaves and however many fish. I'm supposed to be the Bible, Bible guy. I never yeah. remember numbers, but um, <laughs> seven fish, I think. Seven fish. It was Maybe. three loaves, right? I don't know. Uh, um, hashtag Catholicism. <laughs> um, so, like, that's that part is we're offering ourselves up there, um, and that's how you exercise your priesthood as the lay faithful uh, in this specific context. But the way I exercise my priesthood is by acting in persona Christi capites in the person of Christ the head and speaking these words. So, so yeah, there should be a distinction there. Um, and actually the missile makes it clear, like I'm skipping ahead just slightly. And just side note, we are both wrong. Five loaves, two fish. <laughs> <laughs> See, I had seven. I added both together. Yeah, I started this go. off on a completely terrible But fun. go ahead, the missile um, says. Yeah, so the mystery of faith, uh, it says celebrant alone. Okay, so he says that. And then it says, and the people continue acclaiming, we proclaim your death, the Lord, profess your resurrection, whatever response you choose of the several responses. Right. Um, that's the response of the people. Yeah. And so that's not something I say. Um, and if, if you watch closely at Mass, like you'll notice I don't sing that response. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't sing the great amen at the end of the Eucharistic prayer either. Mm-hmm. That's the response of the people. And so, so it's not yeah. you being like a snob. It's literally just kind of, it's following along with, yeah, it's following the rubrics, but yeah. nobody but me sees the rubrics. So unless we have a chance to explain it like right. this, yeah, um, exactly. It's easy for other things. Okay. So go for it. Consecration of the chalice. I just wanted to read that part as yeah. well. So, uh, the rubric is he shows the consecrated host to the people, places it on the patent. That's the name of the, the golden plate mm-hmm. that we have the host on. And genuflex and adoration. Remember we said that kneeling uh, mm-hmm. for us Latins anyway is a posture of adoration yep. and of worship. Genuflecting is just like a momentary kneel, right? Yep. You go down on one, one knee. On the right knee. On the right knee. Unless your knee's just busted up and you can't. Yeah, um, yeah, we'll allow it. Yeah. Um, and then it says, after this he continues. In a similar way, when supper was ended, and you could go into all sorts of like... Uh, kind of Jewish liturgy stuff here with the Passover liturgy and the different cups that they drink from. Mm -hmm. And, you know, where does the institution of the Eucharist fit into that? Um, That's a thing that people like Brant Petrie and Scott Hahn. um, And I think John Bergsma, your, your man from Franciscan. He's awesome. Have, have, that's what I hear. That's what Um, (laughs) (laughs) you're the Bible guy. That's what you hear. Yeah. Brant Petrie has, has a wonderful, just just real quick, if y'all want to go deeper into um, theo- biblical theology of the Mass mm-hmm. and its its roots, Scott Hahn, the Lamb's Supper, and Brant Petrie, Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist, those are two very accessible books that'll very le- good that'll lead books. you to places uh, in the Bible and its connection mm-hmm. with the Mass that you probably had never seen mm-hmm. before. Yeah, I um, will go back and read those just when I feel... It's bad to say this, but when I kind of feel like in a rut in the sense yep. of uh, like I'm not treating this sacredness and and I'm taking for granted receiving the Eucharist, you know, every day, every week, when you know, every mass that I get to go to and to say, 
wait a minute. Let me let me take a step back and look at it. So yeah, um, no, that's that's a really good thing to do. It's an important message uh, for people to hear. So after this, he continues in a similar way, way. When supper was ended, he took the chalice and giving you thanks, Eucharisting, right, Eucharistia. Um, he said the blessing and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, "Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant." which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. So all those words in the Missal, uh, as well as the words for the consecration of the, um, of the bread, mm-hmm. um, are like all caps. <laughs> like, yeah. like they're all caps, they're set apart, there's a special format for them. Like, and that's why often priests will sort of like slow down and say them very deliberately and carefully. This is Christ who is speaking. Right through his instrument, the priest, and I don't want to draw too strong of a parallel, but it's similar to, like, when we talk about biblical inspiration, mm. right? We don't mean that the Holy Spirit possessed uh, Saint Matthew and made him write what he wanted without his free will, <laughs> right? Like, took control of his right, right. hand, and, and and sometimes you'll see pictures of like this sort of dictation thing, like Matthew's listening and he's like, oh, oh, that's what I say, and he's writing it down. Like, it's not really like that either. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't right. I wasn't there. <laughs> I'm not an inspired author <laughs> of sacred that's scripture either. <laughs> so I have to disclaimer. But like, right, the way the church talks about, it, especially in Dei Verbum, this Vatican II document on mm. on the Word of God. Uh, which is so important for us, it talks about like an incarnational model of inspiration. And what they mean by that is that like God makes use of of all of us, of all of our faculties, mm. um, and of us as true authors, or us, like St. Matthew, yeah. as a true author um, of sacred scripture, while at the same time uh, ensuring that everything and only those things which he wanted written were written. Yeah. So it's it's inspired, but it's not possession this way it's yeah. it's more like it's more like if uh you have I, I took an art class in high school i'm terrible at it but um like we had a bunch of graphite pencils mm-hmm. and they're different you know softness and thickness of lead and all that yeah. like if i try and use one of those very like soft thick leaded dark graphite pencils right to like sign an official document it's going to look terrible it's going to look like i'm signing it with charcoal right um if I use a very fine graphite pencil mm-hmm. and want to like shade in stuff, it's not going to work very well. Like I'm limited in some way by the capacities of that instrument. Right. Uh, but I'm truly using that instrument to do everything I want to. So it's the same thing with the inspiration of the scriptures. That's a whole nother topic. Um, but I think there is some analogy with the instrumentality of the priest and the way that he acts in persona Christi with these sacraments. Mm-hmm. That it is truly Christ who speaks, but that doesn't mean that he takes me over right, and I right. lose consciousness or I'm possessed or something like that. Like, like right. I'm acting as a, you know, as a vessel, as a normal human person. Yeah. But in this moment, it is Christ who speaks his word mm-hmm. um, through me. And that's, that's a tremendous thing. I love that's, it. Um, and that's the same with, I absolve you from your sins in the sacrament of confession. That's, yes. All of these sacramental formulae, like it's it's Christ who who acts in that. Yeah, you're not Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. Like right. it's not like okay, right, right. here's Father Paul. 
now here's Jesus saying, you know, yeah. like, it, and that's hard for people to yeah. kind of think about. And it calls priests to make a real act of faith. Like, right. I don't know if this is oversharing or whatever, but when I was first ordained, <laughs> probably like I had, I had never consecrated the Eucharist before when I was first ordained. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and it kind of knocks you over like, like, is this real? Am I like, really doing that like right. it's always Yesterday it's always been were, this object of adoration right. and like i'm at a sort of safe distance and now it's like it's me and it's like how can i be the one who's actually and it really calls you into a deeper a deeper faith um as a as a priest yeah the day before um, you were deacon paul and now all of a sudden your father paul and can do this yeah and so it's it's a pretty like that's one thing we need to pray for priests uh sometimes they can they can lose their faith and there's many different reasons for that um sometimes it's their own sinfulness sometimes it's being overburdened with work and losing a sensitivity to prayer and to the gospels and stuff like and to the to the sacredness of the mass but like that's a it's a weird situation to be Mm -hmm. put in all of a sudden as like you are the instrument for the consecration of the eucharist um it's a tremendous thing it's the greatest you know gift i could like it's it's just it blows you away but it's also tremendous and then if there's ever a time when a priest starts to get overly overly accustomed to it like that's a time when they really need prayers too just like you were saying you know sometimes uh i can forget kind of what's going on and i have to refresh myself like that's the same with the priest because he's he's a true instrument there of god yeah, and we see those beautiful stories of Eucharistic miracles when a lot of the priests yeah. were doubting and mm-hmm. saying, like, Lord, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. And yeah. we see these beautiful, you know, gifts of Eucharistic miracles. We'll do another episode on Eucharistic miracles at some point. And part of it, I know a lot of you are probably saying, why are you going back this episode? We just went through all this. Well, it's like in us reflecting, we're saying we want to give, obviously, the Eucharistic prayer and those those words and and the symbolism and the meaning we don't just want to skim over it we want to yeah. give it the meaning that it deserves and it's, so this is the source and summit of our faith mm-hmm. um like the source and the summit right of our faith and so yeah i wanted to do a second pass over this and yeah. and go deeper <laughs> a um, recap 22 <laughs> minutes <laughs> i still think we can make it to the end of the eucharistic prayer go for it um but before we do that, I, <laughs> just trying to make him spill his coffee. <laughs> before um, I do, okay. I do want to address something that came up a while ago in 2011. I think that was when we changed from "for you and for all" to "for you and for many" in the consecration of the chalice. Like, it makes an important point about about what salvation is. Like, Christ truly died on the cross for everyone, mm-hmm. for all of us. Um, like everyone who has ever existed. Right. Uh, he took all of our sins on himself. Uh, if you're a Thomist, at least, uh, when you um, sort of speculate about the knowledge of Christ, you can say that like he knew each of us intimately mm-hmm. and knew our sins and knew, knew us personally yeah. on the cross um, and in the agony of the garden before that, his whole passion, that he, he really died for all of us. And so that's why it used to say for you and for all, but the Latin actually says for you and for many, um, because not all accept that gift. Right? right. It's not saying he didn't do it for any everyone, but it's just that 
Some people yeah. choose. It's like we've talked so many times in this podcast. You either choose to receive the gift that Christ is giving or not. You have the choice to open it. When you're given a birthday present, you have the choice. And most people open it there, but they don't realize, you know, in these other times, you have the choice to open up this gift of the Lord or not. Right. That's exactly it. So that's, I mean, we say for you and for many because it's a translation of the Latin, which is the typical edition, the the standard the one from which you make the translations. Um, mm-hmm. But like for you and for many, gets at this theological truth that um, this gift was really, it was one for all. His sacrifice was for all. It's intended for all. God's desire is that all accept it, but mm-hmm. not all do. Uh, and so yeah. we have to pray for for ourselves that you know we persevere in our acceptance of that gift. Mm-hmm. And we also have to pray for those who may have that gift in front of them and don't realize it. Right. Um, okay, so now we get to uh, <laughs> kind of start running a little bit. Um, I said last time that the uh, the different parts of the Eucharistic prayer after that are kind of broken up into um, like commemoration of the living, commemoration of the dead. We right. pray for the church. We pray for the bishop of the, the local place and the pope and all that stuff. And that's true. And it's all sort of like, like if you can imagine, we've gone up to this sort of pinnacle of the Mass in this most solemn proclamation of these words of institution. And now we sort of go back down and we we start offering uh, the fruits of that sacrifice for all of these different different groups. Uh, listen graciously to the prayers of this family whom you have summoned before you, stuff like that, to our departed brothers and sisters. So now we're praying for the dead. Um, and then we move up to this point where it says, there we hope to enjoy forever the fullness of your glory. That is in heaven, we hope to enjoy this fullness of your glory. So we're pointing towards heaven, um, right now, this, the, the Eucharist is our foretaste Mm -hmm. of heaven because it is the place where we come into, uh, this deep sacramental body and soul communion with God, Mm -hmm. um, which is what heaven is. Right. Um, through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow in the world all that is good, and then the priest takes the chalice and the paten. Uh, the paten has the host on it, it's a golden plate. If there's a deacon, the deacon takes the chalice, and the priest holds the, the paten with the host. And then you have this kind of solemn, we call it the great amen, but it's 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 a doxology. It's something giving glory to God. Uh, and it's important the way that structure works. Through him and with him, and in him. Um, so who is him? Jesus Christ, right? So it's it's very Pauline there, like mm-hmm. in Christ, where he's always saying in Christ, and in Christ means through him and with him and in him. It sort of means like this, like the, like the breastplate prayer of St. Patrick, like Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ above me, Christ below me, like right. our whole life is hidden in Christ. Um so through him, with him, and in him, O God, Almighty Father, this prayer is addressed to God the Father. Um, I've talked about that before. Like It's important to pay attention who the priest is talking to. Mm-hmm. Um, like This prayer, even though he's elevating the chalice and the paten um, in such a way that it might look like he's addressing the community, he's addressing this prayer to the Father. Right. And like you're, you're addressing your prayer like through the priest, Mm-hmm. To God the Father, all of this 
This whole thing, uh, this whole Eucharistic prayer is addressed to God the Father through Christ in the unity of the Holy Spirit. Right. So we hear that in the doxology at the end. Through him, with him, and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. That is, to you, O God, Almighty Father. Right. Um, and then it says, the people acclaim, amen. <laughs> right? Amen. So, there we go. <laughs> do we want to finish there? Or do we want to keep going? We can... Uh, how are we doing here? So, people stand. Got yes. like two minutes on the clock. Okay. Two-minute drill. All right, two-minute drill. Here we go. So, uh, people stand up. People stand then... up. And then you have the Our Father. Our Father. Uh, we all pray the Our Father together. Um, I don't know. There's there's nothing in there that says like join hands. That's a particularly. <laughs> I was wondering if you were gonna <laughs> say go it there. Not. We haven't Is done it in so long because of the pandemic. But right. that was never a thing I liked when I was in the pews. I know other people don't. I know other people do. That's why they yeah, do. Some it. people love it. Um, the the outstretched hands, the orons. That just means praying in Latin. Mm-hmm. That is a particularly priestly gesture, but I don't know if I want to come down so strong that it's like, you can't do that. I don't know. I right. think people just sort of reflect what they see the priest doing, and that led to everybody stretching out their hands at the Our Father, because <laughs> uh, the priest is required right. to. But like, deacons, for instance, are not supposed to do that. Mm. Um, like, it just says, you know, the priest and the concelebrating priest do it. So, yeah. I don't know. Um, but I, yeah. I think it was, yeah. So anyway, our Father. This our is the Father. this is the prayer that um, our Lord taught us when the disciples asked him how to pray. We may be sort of like so used to it that we don't pay attention to it, but it's a big deal. And now I'm going to spend the next seven episodes going through the. No, I'm just kidding. Petitions of the Our Father. Just kidding. <laughs> right. That's for another series. Yeah. <laughs> um, Church fathers wrote a ton of things like that. By mm-hmm. the way, uh, series on the Our Father on different petitions in it. Um, after the Our Father, you have uh, some some different prayers that the priest will say. Um, there's sort of an it's called the embolism. Not really sure what that word means, but it uh, sounds very medical. It does sound really medical. I'm like, wait, an embolism? <laughs> like a pulmonary? Like, embolism? Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, uh, we can get some doctors and tell us what that means medically, and maybe right. they'll shine light. But but that's the prayer after the Our Father that the priest says, mm. and then the people end with uh, "For the power and the glory, and whatever." Yeah, I don't, I don't say it, so yeah. I don't remember it anymore. But um, which is which is always interesting. I'm gonna derail for the last yes. minute, and we can finish with this with the Our Father. It's interesting because in the Protestant faith, they always include that as part of the Our Father, right? But when mm. we just sit down, we pray it with our family, our children, any of that, we don't say it. So. What's the, because biblically, it's, is that... It's in, there in at least one of them. Right. So it's always interesting. I don't know if you notice this as much as me at like funerals or weddings. Yeah, they keep prayed. going. You, you, you can usually tell who's Catholic and not because they'll say, for thine is the kingdom. And then they catch themselves. And then so we take a little break and then we continue it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. anything else to add it's just interesting for me to be like huh why does one do this and not another and you know yeah i don't know the history of when that started like i don't know if that starts with the sort of advent of protestantism mm. uh in the protestant reformation uh or if that was something that 
they carried on that was being done in a certain place before. Right. Um, I don't think that that was, that certainly wasn't the, the like public liturgy of mm. the universal church. Right. Um, at that time, uh, because the public liturgy looked very similar to uh, what the extraordinary form is now uh, at that time, because that was sort of you know, right around Trent. And, anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's just like <laughs> right, just sort of a dedication to the biblical text and a desire to have that part of the biblical text also mm. yeah. be there. Interesting. I'm not sure, but we'll we do look we it do up, say yeah. it at mass. Yeah, uh, we just. We say it after uh, the priest has this little little thing. Little ditty. Deliver us, Lord, we pray from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days. It's important to listen to these these prayers that you hear so often, and mm. priests can kind of fly through. I certainly I speak quite quickly, for me anyway. You pull a Father Mike Schmitz during yeah, those times. I can't just, just like... like, objectively can't approach his velocity. But um, for me, I'm moving fairly quickly, and I think that's fine. Um, but... Like the words are important to meditate on when you're trying to prepare for mass or enter right. more deeply into mass or refresh yourself about, uh, you know, what mass is and why it's so important. Mm -hmm. So graciously grant peace in our days that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then the people say, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now, now and forever. Amen. Amen. And I think that's a good point. I think that's that's a good point too. That's a good uh, point. <laughs> we'll try to. <laughs> what do you think? Next time, wrap I it think up. One more episode. One more, we folks. It's uh, it's uh, you have heard We're gonna you. do eight, just like you prophesied. <laughs> Prophesy for us. <laughs> All right. Uh, on behalf of Prodigal and the Priest, Joey Scancella, Father Paul Bechter, take care. God bless. <laughs>